We're looking tonight at um, resilience and perseverance, and this is um, so essential uh, for anybody who is aspiring to lead in any way. And uh, you will have thought about that coming on to this week. You've booked on, you thought, I'm going to get a bit more equipped for whatever reason, whether you're influencing the one, one person that you, you share a house with or the family that you're still living with or, or whether that's in a workplace or a church or whatever it is, God's going to um, release you to lead and influence in those places. And so to get equipped is one of the best things you can do. Um, in Romans 12 verse 8, it says, um, those who've got a gift of leadership, do it diligently. So that whole concept of like, okay, invest in it, build it, strengthen it. So it's so good that you've got this done this week. And um, you know, I'm just really encouraging you to keep plugging in and keep going at it. This is going to bear fruit in your life. Um, and one of the one of the significant challenges of any leader really is the ability to have a sense of resilience and perseverance. Because the reality is, um, it's not easy to start something, but it's much easier to start something than to finish it. And um, I can I could point to a catalogue of leaders, particularly leaders in Christian ministry, who have started well and they've run hard. And then for one reason or another, and it could be a whole range of things that get in the way, they stumble and struggle and stop and they can't finish it. Um, and they can't finish perhaps what they began to finish. Um, and, and it's hard, you know, we trust that God's going to work things out and that he will redeem things and he will mobilize things from every little effort, every little act, every prayer. Of course, he can do much more than we could ever think or imagine, even with the stuff that we give to him in a faltering way, when we know that we have, uh, not able to carry on and we have to stop, but to start learning in this area of resilience and perseverance is so important beginning at the beginning of your kind of leadership influence. And as you go, because the reality is we want every single one of you sitting here to be able to lead with, with great diligence through the whole of your life. And your life might be 90, 100, 120 years. It might be as long as that, some of you sitting here. So um, that's really exciting. But, but imagine how exciting that is if you've been able to gather a momentum through that time that means that you've gone from stage to stage of your leadership, adding greater richness and wealth and wisdom in a kingdom-minded way, ushering in and stewarding the presence of God in all that you've been called to do right the way until the moment you meet Jesus face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing? And of course, reminded, aren't we, by the name of this organisation that we have one life. And it is a privilege to say, well, Lord, what do you want to do with my one life? May I spend it well for you? And if you're going to spend your one life well, I guarantee you that you're going to have to engage in resilience and perseverance. This is not a, a problem for those that make mistakes. It's not a problem for those that can't lead as well as other people. In fact, resilience and perseverance is needed and experientially has been needed by the greatest leaders on the planet throughout the whole of history. And we're going to discover that more and more as well this evening. Rewinding back to the beginning of One Life, the first ever fundraiser we did um, as we set out this little fledgling charity that God had borne by his spirit, that something momentum was in, that the spirit of God was doing something. And we knew we needed money to fuel all that was going on. We were trusting him for it, but we thought we ought to uh, get involved as well rather than just hope it fell out of the sky. And um, so we went climbing Ben Nevis. So 11 people in the early forming days of One Life decided to head to Scotland and start Ben Nevis and then do the three peaks coming down to Scarfell Pike and Snowdon. And um, 
I can tell you this whole experience was an experience of perseverance and quite an interesting apt experience at the beginning of one life. Because even though as a, as a charity, in one sense, it's very established now and things are going well and there are great stories through the years and could point to many people who are leading in different places and have been benefited from all that's gone on here. It's required perseverance and resilience throughout it. And so that first fundraiser was a real kind of illustration of what was to come. And I remember arriving at Ben Nevis, eager with these 11, um, uh, 11 people in a minibus. And uh, we had one person on the bus who had climbed mini Ben Nevis in the past. We had no guide. And um, we, were, we were slightly winging it, knowing that we needed to raise a load of money. And, um, um, and you know what? It was raining so terribly. It was sheet rain as we were all getting our kit on and thinking we've got to go up Ben Nevis. And, and this is like, I can't remember what time it was. It was very early in the morning, but it was, this was, oh no, it was, it was later towards the evening. So we're going to do the whole evening, come down as light went and then travel through the night. So it was like just sheet rain. We didn't have time to wait for the rain to stop. We had to go now, otherwise it would get too dark coming down the mountain. And we got out and I, I kid you not, there's no exaggeration. Within two minutes, I was wet to the bone. I was soaked to the bone. Um, and then we started climbing. And as we started climbing, I remember thinking that the thought went through my head, like mountains in the UK can't be that big. They can't be that big. But as we set out on Ben Nevis, it was like mountains in the UK are really big. This is really big. And, uh, you know, off we go. And, you know, six hours later, which was quite a good climb up and down Ben Nevis, um, we, we managed to get back to the minibus as the night drew in, but it was exhausting. And at the top, there was this snow line because the rain was coming and it turned to snow at the top. So for the, the last kind of half a kilometre at the top of the mountain, we were wading through snow and it came up to our thighs. Again, I'm not kidding this. Um, other groups were being turned away at the snow line by the health and safety risk assessment people um, who were helping guide a few corporate groups. Um, and I thought, we haven't come this far not to get to the top, so we're going to go for it. But we probably shouldn't have done. It was sheet, it was white out, sheet white, you know, just snow everywhere. It was a nightmare. And um, you know, we got back in that minibus and one of the team immediately said, I'm not doing any more mountains. Like, I just can't. I'm just not doing it. So they dropped out there and then they just slept in the minibus for the entirety of the rest of the, the time. The rest of us, none of us wanted to do it, but, but we were like being beholden to those who had sponsored us. So there was some accountability to this process that meant, meant that we had to carry on. And um, I remember in an injured state running down Snowdon by that time it was sunny the next day in order to get back to the minibus within 24 hours to achieve the three peaks in a single day. Um, and I don't think my knee has actually ever recovered. Um, anyway, there are lots of lessons from that whole experience. And um, there's a few hints of, experience, of, of lessons in there that we can begin to learn about resilience and perseverance and what happens um, and how we can move things forward. And I'll refer to a few of those thoughts from that story as we go. But I wonder what you think about resilience. And um, just want to give you a definition before I'm going to put you into breakout rooms to have a quick conversation as we get going. Um, again, some of you will come up with great definitions yourself. I'm not going to ask you to define it. Um, but one of the best definitions that uh, you will find in the dictionary, but also psychologists use this when they're thinking through resilience, uh, which obviously requires perseverance. And I'll use those terms interchangeably for much of this evening, um, is, is the ability to bounce back. OK, so the ability to bounce back. And there are a few books that there's actually a book written called Bounce, which it picks up on that. Uh, some of the research that psychologists have done in this and essentially that idea of how do we bounce back? How do we come? So if you imagine a ball, it falls down, but can it come back up again? So what, what's its bounce factor? And that is the measure of your resilience. So could you measure your ability to bounce back? And that would give you a measure of your ability to have a sense of resilience in what it is you're going to be leading. Um, and obviously, if the more we can grow our resilience and our perseverance, 
actually the the more of a reality we're going to make the visions that God gives us because we're going to have to bounce back in in certain moments um, as we um, go on this pursuit of all that God calls us to. Um, picking up on that theme of bouncing back, I love this quote from Nelson Mandela, um, you know, the, the famous South African leader um, who became president uh, of South Africa. And he said this, do not judge me by my successes, but judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. And, um, you know, it's very pertinent to someone like him saying that because there were plenty of knocks and bruises in his life um, and ups and downs. And some would say he caused many of them, some he didn't cause at all, and it was injustice towards him. Um, but his ability to get up again is perhaps what enabled him to overcome apartheid in South Africa and be the leading voice that led them on in their history as a nation. And there's still plenty of work to do there. But uh, Mandela himself was an extraordinary leader. And so there's that reflection of the bounce back thing. So that's, that's how psychologists might describe it. And that's a, a favoured term in the psychology world and when we think about resilience. But what I'm really interested in is where do we see this theologically? And that's what I'm going to ask you to think about in your breakout rooms just for three or four minutes. Because we can draw on all sorts of psychology and we will tonight. We can, we can think about leadership consultancy and what other leadership consultants say about needing to be resilient and standing firm and bouncing back and you can do it and kind of come on everyone, push on through, you know, all these kind of messages that we might take to help us bounce back. But what's really important for us is that we're thinking in a distinctively Christian way. And that requires us to think theologically. Now, before you space out and think, oh, no, no, this is too complex for me. I can't think theologically. Do not panic if you've never studied theology. You don't need to study theolo theology to think theologically. Essentially, let me, let me make it as, as simple as it, it can be in a way. But to think theologically is to try and have the mind and heart of Jesus in your decisions. That's it. That's it. It's not some clever thing for people who have been and studied theology at university or um you know have done some sort of long distance course or anything like that um obviously all of that helps to think theologically and to grapple with big arguments but ultimately to think theologically is to be thinking through the grid of jesus and the best way we can learn that is by his spirit and by the word and so when we think theologically we're trying to say well what does the bible say about this and um you know, don't, don't leave thinking theologically to those that you presume to be academic or who have studied theology. You become a theologian. And that all that means is I'm committed to thinking like Jesus and to discovering from his word, asking his spirit to enlighten me so that I can think from a biblical point of view. And then you'll be thinking theologically. As simple as that. So you're going to do that right now. I'm going to give you that exercise right now. I want you to get into your groups and I'm going to give you four minutes in breakout rooms. So not long. You need to get stuck straight into conversation. And immediately I want you to say, where in the Bible do we find um, stories of resilience? So that would be a narrative. That would be the genre of like a narrative. Where in the Bible might we find teaching about resilience and perseverance? where there's actually direction and teaching for us. There may even be poetic reference in some of the Psalms to resilience and perseverance. So what comes to mind for you? And it could just be, you know, oh, I remember some sort of story. You don't need to say the Bible reference or the chapter or the number. Just start talking about where in the Bible would we find reference to resilience and perseverance so that we're making sure that we're earthing this in theological thinking. Is that okay? Um, we're not going to do loads of feedback from those groups. I just wanted to get you chatting, hopefully a chance just to meet a few other people who are on this call uh, ahead of the other breakout rooms later in the call. But um, I, I hope that as we just had that those few moments, you know, in, in my particular breakout group, we just we just threw in loads of different narrative stories 
um, where perseverance was required and resilience was needed. You know, we mentioned Garden Gethsemane. We mentioned Joseph when we looked at that. Um, we had we even talked about Noah and the flood. Uh, we looked at some of the teaching stuff. We talked about Paul and how he spoke out. Some of you will have clocked that, you know, and much of the New Testament written by Paul, who whose experience of life was a need to persevere, persevere and demonstrate resilience in order to birth the early church against being flogged, whipped, shipwrecked. You know, everything was thrown at him. And yet there was a resilience in him that enabled him to keep bouncing back, actually, even to the point when um, he's imprisoned and then ultimately gives his life for the gospel. Um, and uh, that kind of perseverance and resilience is is extraordinary, um, admirable and, and sort of almost overwhelming when we start to engage with it and think that, that through. We mentioned the verse that's in Romans 5, um, where it talks, and Paul talks about suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character and character leads to hope. And the hope will not disappoint us. So actually perseverance is in there, in that list of building towards a hope that won't disappoint. Um, and so that leads us to an idea that maybe even God allows circumstances that will cause us to have to persevere and develop resilience in order that we can stand strong to build the kingdom in a contested space. And essentially, we do live in this contested space. Somebody else in our group mentions Jesus going into the desert for 40 days. And um, the reality is that the moment Jesus is baptized and he's declared the son of God, it's a very public affirmation of who he is. Immediately, he's into a time of testing, which would have required perseverance and resilience. But it's almost like that was a moment in which um, Jesus by the power of the spirit was being made strong to be able to stand and overcome an enemy who was seeking to steal, kill and destroy. And that perseverance and resiliency showed enabled him to continue into ministry and to bring about the key pivotal moment in history whereby he died and rose again in order that we all might know him. But that perseverance and resilience that he needed that was demonstrated in Gethsemane to get to that was cultivated in the time of the wilderness. So we're just grabbing a load of stories there and you will have grabbed your own stories um, around how this works. So I hope immediately you see it's like this is a deeply biblical um, mandate really to grow in this and it's going to be a need of anybody who wants to lead and wants to do it in a Christian way in a way that you're following Jesus and you are in good company. So one thing perhaps to realize right at the beginning is the minute you have to show any resilience or perseverance do not think oh I must be off track uh, you can think, hold on, maybe I'm in good company with every other biblical leader that ever existed. And maybe this isn't such a surprise to God, even though it may be a surprise to me. Because even though I've been in ministry for um, almost two decades, unbelievably, I, I still have this kind of thought that it should be easy or it should be like, you know, we're with God. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything should just flow. There should never be any politics. There should never be any problems. Uh, you know, all God's people are so wonderful and loving and, and brilliant that there should be never a problem in the church. Um, and because I'm so empowered by the Spirit, there should never be a problem outside, uh, you know, with people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. And yet the reality is, in 20 years of ministry, the, the times often have seen the greatest breakthrough are the times that have needed the greatest perseverance the greatest resilience to keep stepping forwards so we need to steel ourselves in with that so let's dive in and i want to give you a little model um those who have been around me a little while will know that i love models actually before i do the model let me just read to you from the bible um i'm not sure if anybody in their groups mentioned hebrews chapter 12 but i love this um 
and I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. I just want to get a bit of scripture into us, but um, I love this. There's, I could go on for ages. I'll stop at some point, but the whole of chapter 12 of Hebrews is so good. Study it this week. If you get a moment tomorrow morning as you're reflecting on this session, study Hebrews 12. It says this, as for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that so easily we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has been already marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forwards into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who oppressed their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. I mean, I could carry on, but this is so beautiful, isn't it? Um, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, um, but it's a beautiful summing up of the the passion of Jesus and the ultimate, his desire to to push through with perseverance and resilience because of his joy in knowing and receiving you into his kingdom. Absolutely amazing. Let's get stuck in this model. I want to give you four things that are practical that, again, could all be rooted biblically. I'm not going to take loads of time pulling biblical verses out tonight. You can try and grapple and think theologically yourself and say, where do I find that in the Bible? Ask that question all the time. It'll help train you to think theologically. But I want to give you um, four areas that are going to help you grow in resilience. And these have come out of, I guess, my own experience, but they've also come out of um, particularly leading the Leadership College London. And we've got one alumni on here, I think, from there. Tom, Tom Clark has studied at Leadership College London for a year. Um, and one of the modules we do there is around resilience. And so every year I've spent time in this and we've taken over 600 students through these modules. And it's fascinating. There are common themes that come out all the time. So in a way, this is kind of anecdotal research from those 600 20s and 30s who are leading in the workplace leading in churches uh, and some of the things that they have given back in researching and thinking about resilience and some of it is really obvious and so you'll think wow that's obvious I knew that and that's great uh, but it's good to know that that is other people's experience because then you can drive hard into it okay so I'm going to do a little drawing in here because if I was in the room I'd have a flip chart wouldn't I Liz yeah I'll be I'll be and I, I plan to do a, a powerpoint today but I ran out of time ahead of everything so um, let's have a little ball in the middle here. You can draw it at home if you like. Here's a little ball uh, because we're just thinking about the bounce effect. So resilience being the ability to bounce back. That'll remind you about bouncing back. And then we're just going to do, I don't know what these these um, graphs are called. You know, when you have like these four quadrants like that and they're each going to have a measure of five on them, two, three, four, five. You can do it at home, get drawing. You don't have to have orange. You can do whatever you want. Two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, so you got like there, like one of those, um, whatever those are called. Somebody can put it in the chat and tell everybody the actual name of this thing. And so, um, looks like Alex Warren looks like he's he's shuffling, ready to tell us, but maybe maybe later. Who knows? Okay, <laughs> I spotted you. All right, so there's our little grid, and we're gonna we're gonna look at four things, uh, four areas that will help us shape up resilience. And I'm gonna go through them quite quickly. So the first one at the very top is no your mind okay know your mind if you want to grow in your ability for perseverance and resilience you need to know your mind okay that's the top one 
Okay, what do I mean by that? Know your mind. Um, we are passionate here at One Life about developing people in their self-awareness and helping their emotional intelligence develop. And so, um, you know, Myers-Briggs doesn't have all the answers in the universe and there's all sorts of pitfalls in it, but it can be really helpful giving us windows into who we are, how we operate, and, and, our, and it makes us more self-aware. But also in our self-awareness, we become better at being aware of how other people operate as well. That's one example and one of the resources that, that we would use um, in some of our training programs. There are plenty of others. We, have, you, we might use other personality development things. But we want to help people become self-aware about how they operate and what's going on. Um, and, and to think about, actually, particularly, I want we're going to lean into that a bit more in the second thing about becoming more aware of yourself. But... But in this, to know your mind is really important. Here's a question for you. What makes your mind come alive? What makes your mind come alive? Because I can tell you this now, when you're under pressure or stress or strain, which is usually what happens to require resilience and perseverance, okay? That's what makes you require it. When you're under pressure and strain, often the creative thinking can close down. Okay, so even in your brain, the way your brain works, there's certain elements of it that will just close down because you're under the stress and pressure and therefore you're not thinking clearly. But every single one of us will have triggers that help us think creatively and help us to almost exercise our mind well, uh, not just to sit under the pressure or stress. Um, and you can ask questions a bit about that later if you want to. Here's an example for me. I know that when I paint, I think creatively. Okay, now I don't paint nearly enough. Um, I'm not an exceptional artist, and usually when I do do a painting, I wish I could have done it better, and I'm not that not that um, happy with it. But I do know that when I go through the process of painting, my mind thinks creatively. The same thing happens when I'm running. So when I'm when I'm jogging, is when I have my most creative thoughts. Okay, so I know that those things, and again, physiologically, psychologically, um, we could point to research that perhaps particularly would connect exercise with a clarity of mind. So that when you exercise, there's ability to think differently. Um, and there's research that would show that. Um, and so um, sometimes, particularly if people are struggling with um, with the way in which their mind's operating, maybe you're struggling with anxiety or um, maybe struggling with um, depression at some level, um, all those struggles, often a, a doctor would say, oh, get some exercise each day because, because there's a link there. Now, it may not be that you're struggling in those areas. You may well be. Um, but even if you're not, I would encourage you to work out what the triggers are in your mind to help you think creatively um, so that when you're under the stress and pressure, you don't give up on those things. I know that in the moments when I felt under stress and pressure, often it's the jogging that goes out the window first. But, but now that I've worked out that connection, I think, do you know what? It's, it's too important for me not to jog today. Uh, it, it's going to be really tough or I'm, I'm, my head is buzzing with the decisions and the struggle of this situation. I probably need to go for a jog rather than just opt out of that thing because I know that's a creative trigger for me. So begin to get to know your mind, get the creative um, triggers going and, and just be aware of how you're thinking. Um, again, there's loads of stuff around this thinking area and, and beginning to ponder, uh, journal, reflect, talk to your friends about how your mind works is a really helpful tool for you to understand yourself a bit more and, and, and how you work, whether it's your creative triggers, but also, you know, what happens when you're tired, for example. You know, what are the patterns that happen when you're tired? And begin to become aware of those. Um, so often, you know, I've had a, a, you know, a terrible few days. And then I look back and I think, well, it's just because I stayed up till 2 a.m. on Saturday night. It's not actually because I'm under great um, pressure requiring resilience. It may just be that I'm just not in form. And in a way, that, that, that's just information that helps, but it, it, it just gives me a sense of, oh, 
I, I just need to understand that when I'm very tired, this is what happens to my mind. Uh, when I'm when I need to create, you know, have creative triggers, that's what I can do to help develop my mind and my thinking. Become aware of that. Start talking to people about that. Uh, begin reading around that. It'll help you. And you don't need to shy away from it as a Christian. Sometimes we might think, oh, but God's with me. I don't need to think about all of that stuff. Well, one of the things, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, in psychology, why do you lean into psychology and leadership development? You know, what, psychology is just an understanding of how our brains work and who made our brains Jesus. You know, God created us and he's given us the ability and the thinking to be able to work out a bit about how our bodies work. So we shouldn't be shy of that and just kind of push it away because God should just break through every single time. Now, sometimes he will just break through. You know, when he does a healing, it's just a breakthrough. It's like, wow, heaven touches earth and something kicks off. But sometimes he, he, he allows us to go through the process of that healing rather than just doing it immediately. The same is true in terms of thinking about our mind. Um, we want to learn how it works, not just hope he breaks through all the time to break through. So learn, get to know your mind, how it works. Recognize the moments when you might dip into feeling very blue or struggling. Um, sometimes there's people have seasonal um, issues around, you know, feeling um, flat because it, the days are just shorter and you're as simple as things like that. So become aware of that stuff, read around your mind and become a friend of your mind. Think about it as, as something that you can develop and strengthen. I'm going to stop there. We'll come back with questions if you want to. But this is the first thing. If you want to develop perseverance and resilience, be aware of your mind, because so often the battles begin in our mind. Uh, scripture would back that as well. Um, that sense of actually, you know, taking every thought captive, not allowing ourselves just to become downward spiraling in the negative thoughts, but actually taking every thought captive and submitting it to Christ. Um, so beginning to know our mind and work with our mind. Second thing at the very bottom is know your method. Okay. And it's connected to your mind. Okay. So once you know your mind a bit more, get to know your method. Okay, these all start with know your something being with M. So you can start guessing what the other ones are now. Okay, so know your method. All right, let me race through some of this, what I mean. So this, this is to do with how you operate. So as you get to know your mind, then get to know your method. How do you operate as a person and make sure that you are doing things in life that are going to give life and bring life to you, even in the times of struggle. And you need to cultivate those throughout your whole life. There's no good suddenly having to find things that are going to help strengthen you when the storm comes. I remember Pastor Agu, who leads Jesus' house, once saying, you know, you don't put up a storm shelter in the storm. You put it up before the storm comes. And so there's this sense in which actually what methods, what, what are the practices, the methods in my life that are going to help me build resilience and perseverance, even in times when I don't think I need them, even in the happy days when there's nothing to be resilient or persevering about, cultivate practices that are putting up the storm shelter for when the storm comes, because it will come. So how you operate is really important to ask that question. One simple example, just drawing on Myers-Briggs again, is introverts and extroverts. So an introvert needs to build in time every single day where they've got a moment to think, to process, to catch up with their thoughts in order to lead with pure gold. Okay? Uh, an extrovert needs to be around some people where they can bounce ideas, externally process, not be committed to that vision, but enjoy the process of creating. And an extrovert needs that in order to thrive. And so just beginning to learn the patterns of your own behavior according to your personality will really help you to recognize what you might need in a moment. So often when I'm struggling, and I do struggle often in ministry, life, family life, all kinds of things, I'll look and think one of the reasons I've struggled is because I've not had enough introvert time. And, and I start getting twitchy. You can see it in my eyes. Look, can you see it tonight? Um, you can see it in my eyes sometimes where there's this sense of... Um, 
wow, I've just not had space to catch up with the multitude of decisions and thinking that I've had to do today. And therefore, I'm a worse husband and I'm a worse father. And I snap at my children. And it's usually not because they deserved me snapping at them. It's because I just hadn't managed uh, managed myself well in that day. And so I have to become accountable for that. And that's part of building the shelter before any storm comes. So look at your how you respond, how you operate. Um, another one for me is, you know, success is really important, you know, is, is a way in which I often look at the world. It's not always right that I look at the world that way, but I know that I respond to failure really poorly. So if I've had a failure, I'm likely to respond worse than lots of other people who couldn't care less about failure. They just want to be safe or they just want to have something else in life, not necessarily success. And so for me, I'm just aware of that in myself. So that will help you in knowing your methods and how you're moving stuff. Um, in knowing your methods, think about how you respond to different situations, particularly difficult situations. So how do you respond to hard feedback? You know, when somebody makes a comment about the talk you did or the Christian union you're trying to set up or, you know, the job you were doing last week, when they make a comment that's critical, how do you respond? Um, and that response may be right, may be wrong, but just begin to become very aware of how you respond and what you do with that response. And then how you can exercise responding better in those circumstances. How can you respond well? How you receive feedback is really important. How you, res how you respond to conflict. Begin to assess that in yourself. Write that question now. How do I respond to conflict? And begin to assess that in yourself. And again, everyone will respond differently. That's why I'd love to have like one-to-one -one coaching around this. But this is a provoker that's going to help you think more and begin to give you questions to discuss maybe in our breakout rooms as well. But how you respond to conflict and opposition is really important because I guarantee you it will come in your life. Um, some of us, we go into our shells. We don't want to talk to anyone. We go silent. Some of us, we get angry and we throw things back at people. Uh, others will have totally different responses. Become aware of how you respond. And that will give you greater self-awareness so you can begin to manage yourself better in those circumstances. And here's one thing I want to encourage you. Make a plan for how you're going to respond to opposition. Make a plan. So you may be in opposition now, but you may not be. Okay. Whether you're in it or not, make a plan for how you're going to operate. So write down, how am I going to respond to someone who is opposing me? Uh, what am I going to do when it gets really gritty and hard? What am I going to do when... Someone says something that's not fair and, and write answer to that. If you write those answers, it'll begin to embed in your thinking and you'll respond better when it happens. And it's going to help you to be more resilient in the tough times. Um, Jesus, Jesus, I don't know if Jesus wrote this stuff down, but Jesus knew how he was going to respond. We've already mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. Part of the Garden of Gethsemane was Jesus steadying himself and readying himself for how he's going to respond. And so we see him going into the toughest day of his life, probably any, anybody's life who's ever lived, into the day he was crucified. And he chooses to stay silent with some people because he's not going to spend his words there. He chooses to demonstrate love as he's being pinned to a cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, I, I am absolutely convinced that what went on in the Garden of Gethsemane was the preparation for all of those responses. It was the plan. He was making the plan. He was thinking through, do I have to do this? If I do this, how will I do this? He sweats blood doing it because of the decisions he's making over going to the cross and how he needs to be in that time. And he demonstrates the perfection of a saviour who is our Messiah and we worship forevermore. And um, part of what we understand him being Messiah is the witness of all those people on that day watching him die and then watching him rise to, rise to new life. And what they saw 
was a pure savior who was utterly sinless. And it was extraordinary. So there's this, this preparation that needs to go on. So think that through um, as, as you're um, working that out. Okay, next one. Let's race on because I don't want to keep going for too much longer. Okay, next one is know your moment. That's going to go over here. Okay, so I'm going to write this, know your moment. Okay, know your moment. So you're going to beginning to build up your quadrant here, right? So know your moment. Now, what do I mean by know your moment? Uh, we have to recognize, uh, as Ecclesiastes would tell us, that there are seasons for everything. There is a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. Um, there's a time for dancing and there's a time for mourning. Uh, and, and Ecclesiastes builds on that in a beautifully poetic way. And I think sometimes um, we struggle to embrace the season we're in. And so I've found that it's very helpful, particularly when you're trying to persevere and keep going, is to be asked the question, what is the season I'm in? And there are going to be seasons in your life where you're very hidden. And that was God's plan. He wanted to cultivate something in you behind the closed doors or in the wilderness. He was going to do that. And he was committed to doing that because he's committed to you and he loves you. Jesus loves those. He loves those he disciplines. He loves those that uh, that even have to spend 40 days fasting in a wilderness. You know, he that there's this sense in which there are different seasons and rhythms to what he wants to cultivate in you. And sometimes we can interpret perhaps a season of um, pruning and cutting back. Uh, we can interpret that so negatively. We struggle against it. It's almost like I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't want to prune this branch off. I don't, I don't want to let go of that ministry or that thing or the one thing I wanted. I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And we're holding on. And actually we end up causing the need for perseverance and resilience in ourselves because we weren't open-handed enough to say, Father, what's your will? What's the season you're bringing me into? Um, there is a one life oak tree. And if you ever make it to the poplars on a school of leadership one day, it's now planted there. And this one life oak tree um, started growing the first year that one life began. So nearly 13 years ago, little acorn in the ground, shoot up it comes. And um, I always remember we did an event um, in the first year of One Life, which um, just was a real strain. It, you know, we lost a load of money. It, it didn't really work. It wasn't the right thing, the right time. I found that very painful because we're going to survive. You know, how's this going to work? And it just didn't work. It was hard. And I remember a prayerful lady um, who had supported certainly the early days of One Life and, and right the way through. But she brought this acorn and said, oh, um, you know, things things got to begin small and things begin little by little, but an oak tree will grow over the course of 70 years to full maturity. Um, and we're in this because we want to grow this over the course of time, not just have a big spectacular moment here now. So, so it, you know, we may be having a hard moment right now, but um, we prayed and we asked that God would help one life to plant oaks of righteousness, like in Isaiah 61, that would that would multiply and that oaks of righteousness would be birthed and grow up. And men and women would stand like oaks of righteousness over this land, declaring the kingdom of God and the goodness of God. And I remember standing under an oak, big oak tree with this little sapling, tiny little shoot in, in the middle of our prayer circle, praying for that God would do something and would grow, grow oaks of righteousness. That tree is now 13 years old. And it stands about the height of a 13-year-old child because it is, it's, it's tracking that at the moment. And it's gone through seasons. There was another time I remember where we were in a trustees meeting and it had been a tough time. Um, this was some years ago. The team had had a really difficult time. It had been complex and difficult for a number of reasons. And this little oak tree appeared in the room and uh, it was no leaves. It looked like a stick. It looked like it wasn't going to live. 
it was really stripped back. And I remember that the person saying, oh, it's, it's winter. You know, there, there are times, there are seasons where things are stripped back and we mustn't despair in this moment, but we must continue to persevere, to push through and to hold on to life and keep saying to God, what season am I in? Right now, that tree is the best I've ever seen it. I was there last week and it is flourishing. And even the person who planted it for us up there, who runs the grounds there, Dan, if some of you have met him, he said that oak tree is so healthy. I've never seen oak tree leaves as healthy and strong as that in, in, in any of the oaks that we've ever planted on the, on the land here. Um, and I thought, wow, that is another prophetic sign of you know what God's doing now and he's raising up oaks of righteousness. So we, like the oak tree, go through seasons. All of us will. And there'll be moments where you're cutting back and moments when you're pushing in. I want to encourage you, don't despair in the moments when you're cutting back, but have the wisdom to ask, what's the moment I'm in? Know your moment. What's the moment I'm in? That doesn't necessarily need to be a whole season, like several months. It could be a week where it's like the Lord's just cutting something back or he's moving something, he's shaping something. And, um, and, and just being aware of that will help you not to panic and think that everything you've been building is a waste of time. But you can say, well, Lord, we just trust you. And uh, we recognize there are seasons and we will go with the flow of your seasons rather than fight against them. Um, and this leads into the final area. Then actually, I just, uh, sorry, I just let's say one more thing, or one or two more things in there. Um, first of all, um, remember there are seasons for rest and you have to part of the building, the patterns and, the, and, you know, you're knowing your methods is making sure you're building rest into your life. Um, I would encourage you, you have to have a Sabbath every week. There you are. I'm going to be determined and tell you that. You need to have a, at least one day off every week. Uh, it's great if you can have two, um, which uh, we in our culture have um, got more used to. But you have to have a day a week, especially if you're really busy and it's demanding. And that means probably putting down the tech because we're invaded by our emails, our text messages, our WhatsApps, our Instagrams, our Mark Polos, whatever it is. We have, we have to put it all down and learn what rest really looks like for us. That will be different for everyone. I'm not going to tell you how to do Sabbath, but you have to do it. I remember when I was first youth pastor at St. Andrew's Chorleywood, somebody from Chorleywood in the room. Um, I, I remember um, I loved the job and I worked seven days a week and I didn't want a holiday because I didn't dare miss out on what God was doing. It was so exciting. We were having a whale of a time and I just worked like that. I worked like that for months, literally months. And I remember the associate vicar once caught me and I, I think he caught me saying like that I hadn't had a day off for a long time. And he looked at me and he said, Pete, you cannot trespass the ways of God to do the work of God. And it hit my heart like, boom, you cannot trespass the ways of God to do the work of God. It doesn't make sense. God himself rested and enjoyed and, and celebrated the beauty of creation on that day, on the seventh day. In fact, you know, in true terms, Sabbath means that you're resting even from creation. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to stop and do some art or create something or make something else. It's actually stopping from all creation in order to look at the six days of what you have done, properly review and understand, soak in, offer it to God as a beautiful sacrifice. Um, this is not about Sabbath, so I won't go off into a Sabbath seminar. But remember your moments of, of rest. Um, and then I think just the last thing to say on this, this knowing your moment, I, I would encourage you, even if it's a time of wilderness and struggle, um, try and keep some level of momentum all the time. So even if it's stripped back and you're finding things hard to persevere and your resilience at a low ebb and you're wondering if you're going to bounce back because you feel like you're at the bottom of the valley right now, I want to encourage you, just keep some level of momentum, however small it is. I love this quote from Martin Luther King. 
uh, very apt for this time and all that's been going on. Um, and all he, all that he said is uh, with, with fresh vigour at the moment, isn't it, in our world? But listen to what this, uh, he said, Martin Luther King, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forwards. You know, he was, again, uh, an extraordinary leader who set a tone uh, and a momentum for what we hope and pray is going to continue to develop in our day um, as racial inequality is is engaged with and dealt with. And I won't go again into all of that, but all that's going on. And, and I love that because it just captures that sense of, you know, some stuff is really hard. You know, his life was really hard. It was a battle. His leadership was a battle from start to finish. And, he, you know, there he is saying, even if you're just crawling, just, just keep moving forwards. And I would encourage you, try and keep that because it's very difficult to turn a ship that stopped still. You have to keep moving somewhere uh, in order for anything to begin to turn. And so even in those dark moments, there'll be things that you can decide to do that will keep some sense of movement. And I'll leave you to think about that in your breakout room, what those could be. Final thing, and I finish with this, is know, uh, it's a bit shorter this one as well, know your mentors. Okay, know your mentors. There's your, uh, there's your grid there. So know your mentors. Okay, um, what do I mean by this? When we have asked um, Leadership College London students to design a resilience model that they could teach and train a team with every time that we've done the course. So I've seen hundreds of these models um, over the years. And every single model, as they discuss resilience, every single model talks about the desperate need for relationship. And the authentic relationship is at the core of building your ability to have resilience. If you don't have strong relationships, your resilience uh, ability, your resilience quotient, you might say, is it diminishes significantly. People who are isolated um, uh, tend to, to, to fall much faster. You know, a bit like, uh, you know, a pack of lions trying to get a gazelle. If they can isolate it from the pack or whatever, it's going down, you know, but if it can stay with its herd, it's got a greater chance of survival. It's the same in resilience. And so there's the sense in which you have to build team. And just like you don't build a storm shelter when the storm comes, you have to build the team way before you need it. Before you think I need a mentor, you need to have cultivated depth of relationship that um, is strong and beautiful. Um, and when I talk about mentors and this relationship thing, um, I'm talking about a number of levels. I would encourage you to have a few people who are wise counsel to you, people who are further along the, the road than you, and a few, not just one. Don't rely on just one person, uh, because if that if that relationship you know falters or geographically moves or whatever it is, you're suddenly lost lost with no one. So so just have a few mentoring figures in your life, um, and I would encourage at least one of those to be really official mentor. So somebody that you're saying, please speak into my life. Can I come and see you every couple of months? Can we chew over everything? Can you ask me these tough questions? Here they are, I give them to you and I'll let you into my whole of my life vulnerably. To have that kind of mentor, but also have a few just wise counsel people that you know you go to, to get counsel. But included in your mentors need to be your peer, um, your peer support. And again, I have a prayer cord um, and we meet regularly and talk and they're peers. They're all vicars, um, the three of us and um, the four of us, um, the other three and me. We're all vicars leading in very different contexts, but we know each other's worlds a bit, a lot. We know each other very, very well. We know the darkest corners of each other's lives um, and we've chosen to go there. Uh, but alongside that more formal peer accountability, I've got a whole bunch of friends that I've tried to cultivate who pray who care for me, who look out for me, who 
encouraged me along the way. Um, I just got a text from someone today who just had been praying and gave me a Bible verse. And I, I love that. And I'm so thankful for people who are committed like that. Um, and there are lots of brilliant people, even on this call, who are very deeply committed like that. But um, I want to encourage you to cultivate that. Become a person who cultivates big relationships. Okay? Become a person who cultivates big relationships. By big relationship, I don't mean go and find uh, big people or people who are taller than you or whatever. I mean like a relationship where there's trust, love, and honesty. And um, don't don't just cruise in your success when you're leading and think you don't need them anymore. Cultivate it then because there will come a time when you need it. Everybody who succeeds or everyone who pushes through um, to win the prize, as the Bible might say, is surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Is surrounded by people who are there. I have the privilege of doing leadership consultancy in professional sport and um, watching top athletes and the ones that thrive are surrounded by a good team, people who are going to help them at every level. And um, they need it, even if they're performing in a solo way on their own out on the pitch. They need the team around them and it develops their mindset. It develops their ability. It develops their reflection, their accountability. And that builds their ability to bounce back when they've had a tough time or the games are not going in their direction. Sometimes you might hear that leadership is lonely. It should never be lonely. If you ever arrive in a position of leadership and you're saying, gosh, it's, it's, it's lonely here at the top, isn't it? Then um, I'll boldly say something's gone wrong in your processing of big relationships. It doesn't need to be that. There are all kinds of reasons why senior leaders get lonely. Um, and um, and it's, it's, unfortunately, it's very common that they do get lonely. Um, but if you become committed to big relationships, Choosing Sabbath, choosing rest with good people, building relationships that are supportive and strong. That loneliness never needs to be at your door when you find yourself in a senior position of leadership because you've cultivated it around you. So you know your mentors, you know, you know your mentors. Okay, that's it. Finish. So how this model works now, and um, perhaps you want to reflect on this in a minute in your breakout rooms when we go. You give yourself a mark out of five for each of those areas. So, you know, how well do I know my mind? How well do I know, do I perceive my moment? Am, am I aware of that? Do I think I do that well, uh, including Sabbath and rest um, and the seasons of life? How well do I know my method? You know, things that bring life to me, things that uh, the behavioral practices that I may or may not have. Um, uh, and how, may, how do I, you know, do I know my mentors? Have I, can I point to a strong team? So give yourself a mark out of that. Now, I'll, just, I'll give myself a fake mark. Uh, using a green pen. Um, these could be real, but I'm not really reflecting. So that's why it's a fake mark. Well, I'm, I would happy to, happily share it with you. But maybe if I thought, right, I know my mind. I'm, th I'm free there. That's okay. I, I know my moment. I'm not so good at that because actually I don't like reading the harder seasons at all. And I miss them often. Uh, know my method. Well, I've done a lot of work on that. So I'm going to go five there. Know my mentors. Well, at the moment I'm a three, but there's a lot of room for growth. And you put a circular shape off the circle of your ball in the middle. And there you go. That's, that's the capacity of your resilience right there and there. Now, the larger the area of your capacity of, your, of your, your capacity of resilience, the more resilient and persevering you're going to be as a leader. And so you can then start asking yourself the question, how do I stretch that out there? There's a bit of a weaker space. I could get to know my moment a bit better. What am I going to do about that to grow that? And ultimately, the aim for all of us would be to grow in all of these four areas in order that we create the perfect circle around the five. Because right now, mine, again, is a little bit funny shape. It's going to bounce more like a rugby ball. And so its bounce back ability is going to be a bit all over the place. But if it was five on all of those levels, I'd have a perfect circular round ball that would bounce back really healthily and well. 
So I hope that's a helpful image and an illustration that will stick with you as you develop that. 